Thank you for joining us again today. I want to continue our Overcoming Life series as we talk about overcoming discouragement. First of all, we need to understand that everyone, everyone faces discouragement. There is not a person on this planet that hasn't been discouraged. We all face it. And there are four primary causes of discouragement. They can be fear, fear of the unknown, fear of some, some things that we feel might happen to us. Another great source of the discouragement is when we have physical fatigue, when we're tired or emotionally fatigued. Those things can cause us to be discouraged. A third primary cause of discouragement is frustration. Frustration, frustration with your work, frustration with your finances, frustration with staying at home all of these uh, past weeks. And the fourth primary cause of discouragement is failure. When you fail at something, it can be very discouraging and it can limit you from moving on. So today I want to focus particularly on one man. He's a great man. He's uh, throughout the Bible. He wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms, at least they're attributed to him, and that's King David. Now King David was a, was a fearless shepherd. We know he was a valiant warrior. He was a sincere worshiper and he was a champion of the faith. He is a great example of someone who walks in victory, who lives the overcoming life. And yet we see that he faced frustration and discouragement and had failure and fatigue and fear and all of the things that we've just spoken about. You see, from the time that David was anointed king, he faced discouragement. Now, can you imagine how this goes down? King Saul is king over Israel, and he has been disobedient to the point that now the Father God has said to the prophet Samuel, no longer is he going to be king. I'm going to take the kingdom from him and from his family. And uh, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint one of his sons to be the next king. Now, so Samuel comes to Bethlehem, everybody is fearful because they think, what's he doing? Usually when he shows up, it's not a good thing. And uh, even the king, uh, Saul, was wondering why he was going there. So I'm just going to offer a sacrifice. And uh, during that time of sacrifice, he meets Jesse and says, bring all your sons. Well, Jesse brings seven sons. And they're to uh, come before Samuel. And Samuel is to seek the Lord and to find out which one of them is to be the next king over Israel. The first one comes, he's good looking, he seems like that should be the one, and God says, that's not the guy. That's not the one at all. In fact, the second one isn't either. And the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the, and the seventh, and finally, the, Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any other sons? Now, can you imagine when you're told to bring all your sons, you bring seven, you don't even count the eighth one, David, you leave him out in the field, you don't even act like he's one of the group. And so it starts off right there. Can you imagine David comes in, the other seven brothers are wondering what's going on, and then they see the little punk brother be anointed by the prophet Samuel to become the next king over Israel. Now you think that would be a great day. You have just found out that you're going to be the next king of Israel. You'd think, you know, in a couple of weeks there'll be a press release, the limo will show up, it'll take me up to... Uh, the capital city uh, will have the inauguration and I'll become king. Well, I want you to know that from that day on, David faced discouragement. In 1 Samuel 16, it says, 
Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then in verse 13 it says, As David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, came powerfully upon David from that day. You'd think the Spirit of God coming on you would be a great source of encouragement, and it is. But David still faced discouragement. Now let's just do a quick run through. We're in 1 Samuel 16, and our text today is in 1 Samuel 30, if you want to, to move over to that and get ready. But let's look at what happened after that time. Later on, the king is uh, in distress. He has a troubling spirit that comes upon him, and some of the people in his uh, royal palace say, you know, one of Jesse's sons can play a harp, and, and David was brought in, and he would play the harp, and as he did, it would soothe the, the spirit of the king. And you think that would be something exciting, but do you realize that two times while that was going on, the king tried to kill him? You have that wonderful thing. That can be a bit discouraging. Uh, when the, the nation of Israel, the armies of Israel, went out to fight the Philistines each day, they had that huge Philistine Goliath that would come out and say, send out your best men. And they would all run away and hide. And this went on and on. And finally, here's David, this young shepherd boy who's coming just to bring supplies to his brothers and to check out the condition of the war. And he gets there and he hears this. And he says, I'll go and fight him. And he's the little guy. And, they, and finally, he convinces the king. And they try to put him in uh, royal garb and in all the, the investiture and, and shields and everything that he would have as a, a, a warrior. None of it fit. It was all too big for him. And so he said, just give me what I'm used to fighting with because I'm used to taking on bears and I'm used to taking on lions and I do it with my hands and I do it with stones. And you know the rest of the story. He selected five stones and a slingshot. And he killed, he killed that huge Philistine, Goliath. You think that would bring a great thing. But instead, it made the king uh, jealous of him. And you see now in the next about seven or eight chapters, David pretty much visits every area of Israel running, and he's running and hiding. He's being pursued at every, every level. Finally, he has nowhere else to go. The Bible tells us in, in 1 Samuel about 28 that he ends up camping with the Philistines. Now think about it. He killed their leader not too many chapters ago, and now that's where he's dwelling. And the king of the Philistines thinks he's loyal. Everything he sees that David does appears to be uh, to fight against Israel. However, it wasn't the case. But finally, in 1 Samuel 29, the Philistines get tired of him because they're getting ready to go into battle against Israel. And the other warriors of the Philistines say, King, don't let him come in with us because he'll turn against us and fight with Israel. That's his nation. And so from that, from that, he comes home. And they return home to discover that the city that they're from has been burnt down. And their families have been taken captive. And some Bad things really begin to happen. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8. 
It says, uh, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziklag, they found the Amalekites, Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag, and they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They carried off the women and the children and everything else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives were among those captured. And David was greatly distressed. Think back in chapter 16, he's anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king. You would think things would be in his favor. He kills the enemy of the king, Goliath. You think things would be in his favor. He has to run. He has to hide. He had many opportunities to kill the king. He hadn't done any of that. He had finally uh, sided with the Philistines to protect his life and those of his followers. And even then, they're not allowed to fight. They come home, find their city has been ransacked. Their families are gone. And they weep. You know what? You remember American Idol a few years ago, every time somebody uh, left the thing, uh, left the show, they would always play the little song, So You Had a Bad Day? Well, this was one of David's bad, bad days. And the Bible goes on to say that David was greatly distressed. Why? For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. This is the man that they had sided with. They could have gone back and served with Saul, but they had sided with David. They recognized that he had something on him. He had the Spirit of God on him. They had followed him. They had lived in caves. They had run for their lives. And now they come home, and now they're saying, maybe we ought to stone the guy. Do you think that he was greatly distressed? Yes, he was, because they spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved. But look at this next phrase. It says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself. The word encouraged there means to be strong, to become strong, to be courageous, be firm, to grow firm, or to be resolute. And look at what he doesn't do. He's distressed. He's discouraged. His own followers want to kill him. It would really be easy to just move off to the side, say, I'm going to go sit under a tree. Maybe at nightfall I'm going to sneak away from them. But no, it says that he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. And so Abiathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, shall I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Here's what happened. Instead of sitting under a tree or hiding behind a rock, it says he encouraged himself, not with wonderful self-talk, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he went to the Lord and said, okay, here's where we are. Now, what do I need to do? So with that, I want you to write this key in your notes. Discouragement is never a condition. It is never a condition. It, however, is a choice. You choose to be discouraged or you can choose to encourage yourself 
in the Lord like David did. So in the remainder of our time that we have together, I want to talk about three keys to overcome discouragement. The first one is this. We need to have a Godward mindset. What that means is focus your mind towards God. Where are you looking? David was able to encourage himself in the Lord. As I mentioned in the intro, David was a worshiper. 73 of the 150 Psalms are attributed to him, and his secret of staying encouraged was where he put his eyes. In Psalm 16, he says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. He recognized that if I look to Jesus, if I look to the Father, if I recognize he's with me every step of the way, I will not be discouraged because the creator of the universe, the God who loves me, the God who cares for me, who's going to be right beside me, if he's beside me, I will be victorious regardless of what the circumstances speak. David was a worshiper. Being a worshiper means you're a God, you have a Godward mindset. You're focusing your mind, your thoughts, your spirit on God. I want you to know, friends, that Satan wants you to have a godless mindset. He wants you to think of anything else but God. In the season that we are in, if you allow the media and everything that's negative to be into your spirit, you will be discouraged. But if you look to the Word of God, if you worship the Lord, if you change your focus and make it a Godward focus, you'll find that you'll be encouraged. That while your circumstance may not be any different 20 minutes from now after we finish this teaching, but your attitude, your focus, your mindset, where your eyes are looking will be changed. Second, David chose to see God in everything. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, when um, Goliath came out and said, Who are you coming after me? And listen to how he replied. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. You see where he was looking? He saw, even in this battle, God is with me, and because he's with me, I'll be victorious. You see, he also saw God in his circumstances. If you look at Psalms 59, Psalms 59 is a psalm written where David is hiding in his own home, and Saul's men are surrounding him, and the order is, when he comes out, kill him. And it... It's interesting, if you read the intro to Psalms 59, it says of David regarding the time Saul sent soldiers to watch his house in order to kill him. Do you think that could be a discouraging day? You are absolutely sure that it was. And look at what he says in Psalms 59, 1 through 4. Rescue me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who've come to destroy me. Rescue me from those criminals. Save me from these murderers. They have set an ambush before me. Fierce enemies are out there waiting. Lord, though I've not sinned or offended them, I've done nothing wrong, yet they prepare to attack me. But yet, even though he recognized that was his reality, look at what he says in verse 16, because he recognizes that God is greater than of circumstances. But he says, as for me, I will sing about your power. Every morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love, for you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. O oh, my strength to you, I sing praises, for you, O oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. You see, he saw 
even in that circumstance, outside his house is an army of men ready to kill him, he recognizes, I will sing, I will focus on God's power, on his love, and he will be my protection. You see, David reminded himself, God is bigger than any giants that he might face. He's bigger than my mountains. He's bigger than my enemies. He's bigger than my problems. The worst thing that we can ever do is forget that God is with us. But the best thing we can do is refocus on God and his word. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever, will, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome and whatever is, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. And the Amplified says, center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. You see, because when we keep our mind on God, you have instant encouragement and you have a new perspective. Because suddenly, when you realize how big your God is, you realize how small your circumstances are. You, you will experience tremendous peace and decreased worry and fear. Isaiah 26 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Isaiah said it right. Focus on God, focus on Jesus, peace will come, and fears will flee. You see, focusing on God feeds your faith, and it will starve your fears. You will also be able to speak and act by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Another thing that will happen is when you focus on God, you'll become an encourager of others. And nothing is needed more greatly in this season of time than the church of Jesus Christ to rise up to be a group of people that are encouragers to the world that is so discouraged. You will also have the power to destroy the power of Satan that when he comes to oppress you. Psalms 149 says, Let the praises of God be in my mouth and a sharp sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the people, to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains, to execute the judgment written against them. This is the glorious privilege of his faithful ones. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any, the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You see, here's the promise. Isaiah said it. Jesus quotes it. He came to all who mourn in Zion. Zion is the house of God. And he will give them a crown of beauty for ashes. And ashes represents devastation. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. And mourning refers to deep grief and loss. And clothing of praise, which, by the way, the garment of praise is something you have to put on instead of despair. And despair there refers to oppression or depression. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. Here's a key. When we choose our focus, when we choose our focus, it decides our disposition in life. What we choose to focus on determines our disposition. Point number two, set realistic expectations. 
It's not like we weren't warned. Jesus said in John chapter 16, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you may have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Well, there are three kinds of expectations that we can have. Two of them are negative and one of them can be very positive. The first is this, for believers that have been overcome, they expect victory without difficulty. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. You can't expect victory without difficulty. That is an unreal expectation. You'll be heartbroken and disappointed if you think, okay, I'm walking in Jesus. Everything is always going to be perfect each and every day. You'll be discouraged, but you'll do like David did. You'll choose to be encouraged and strengthened in the Lord. Another group of overcome believers expect difficulty without victory. I mentioned it in an email to you this morning. It reminds me of the old hee-haw song, Gloom, Despair, and Misery. Or the bumper sticker that says, life is tough, then you die. We have been promised more than just a getting by lifestyle. He has overcome the world, and because he was an overcomer, we can also overcome. But here's the truth. Overcoming believers knew, know this. They expect difficulty, but then they expect victory. In Romans chapter 5, it says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, it says, Despite all of these things, Despite all of the circumstances, despite all of the things that might discourage us, overwhelming victory is ours. How? Through Christ who loved us. And in Luke 10, uh, verse 19, Jesus said, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Now, let's understand, I'll do a teaching about this later on, but in this particular verse, we recognize it's not a switch from something spiritual to now you can go walk out in the mountains and step around rattlesnakes. He is talking about this, that we've been given power over the enemy, that's the adversary, and snakes and scorpions are evil spirits that come to discourage and come to destroy. He says, you have authority over this. Here's the key. You're going to fight. And you're going to win. But you're going to have to fight. I want to say it again. You're going to fight. You're going to fight. You're going to have to fight. When discouragement comes, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to choose to change your focus. And do like David did. And encourage yourself in the Lord. And go to him and say, what should I do? And seek his direction. That's what you're going to do. You're going to fight. But the good news is, when you fight, you know you're going to win. But you're going to have to fight. That's something that we recognize. And finally today, point three, place your faith in God's grace. 
We need to recognize that our adversary has tactics that he uses to discourage us. They are things like accusing. He's an accuser. He's a condemner. You know, he'll accuse you, you should have done this, you should have done that. And when we do something, you shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. He is also a tempter. He dangles those things out in front of us to uh, cause us to, to step into an activity that when the outcome is there, we'll be discouraged. And another thing we need to recognize that one of his tactics is he's a comparer. And one of the areas he compares us in with others is those things that we can't change. You see, there's some comparison that's good. Be like Christ. That's a comparison. That's a good thing. But you know, I can't compare my hair to somebody else's hair because I can't change that. That's an unchangeable attribute that I have. I would like to have been taller. I might have played basketball. But this is the height I am. It's something I can't change. But the adversary will come against us and say, Oh, look at them. Look at how they look. Look at how they have. Those are unchangeable. Another thing he sets before us as a comparer is he sets false idea, ideals. I would love to know the truth about so many people's Instagram accounts. Is their life really that way or is it just how they make it look? Is it really, really that great? Another thing that he does is he makes us have an attitude that we need to work harder and pedal faster. You know, if you just did more, you'd be better at it. But listen to me with this. With everything in your life seems to be falling apart, the devil will always try to make it about you. He'll whisper these things. You're not doing enough. You're a failure. You failed so many times. You're defective. And God can't use you anymore. But I want to encourage you that you need to reject the performance mentality. When David was at Ziklag, surrounded by loss and the threat of being stoned, he didn't try to perform. He didn't get up in front of his men, give an inspirational speech, or prove how resilient he was. Instead, he turned to the priest and said, ask God what we're supposed to do. The priest asked God, and God said, go fight. And that's what they did. Reject that performance mentality. Turn instead to Christ. Titus chapter 3 says he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, not because of what we'd done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. We also need to rest in and rely on God's mercy. Remember earlier I mentioned Psalm 59, the psalm that David wrote while he was trapped in his house. He said this in verse 10, My God of mercy shall come to meet me. And the point when you're at the lowest, when you're the most discouraged, please remember that simple truth. My God of mercy will come to meet me. You will defeat the devil when he comes against you with condemnation and accusation by declaring, I don't have to qualify. I don't have to measure up. The blood of Jesus is what qualifies me. And I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You will not make this about me. Remember this key. Performance is about me. Performance is always about me, but obedience and grace are always about God. In Romans chapter 11, 5 through 7, it says, it is the same today for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful. Why? Because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. 
And since it's through God's kindness, then it's not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. In Ephesians, Paul wrote this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for doing good things that we have done, so no one can boast about it. We need to rest in God's mercy, to rest in his grace, to place our faith in his grace, to recognize that he is the one who saved us. We can come to him with confidence and assurance, not because of our resume of performance, but we can come to him because he is a God of mercy and a God of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. When you're discouraged, have a Godward focus. Look to him. Recognize that there's going to be a fight, but that you're going to win. And the reason you're going to win is not because of what you've done, but because you have trusted in his grace and mercy to see you through. I would encourage you, as you've listened to this teaching today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'd like you to take a moment right now and pray this simple prayer with me. Father, I need you like I've never needed you before. I have sinned, I haven't measured up, and I can't measure up. The events of life have discouraged me, but I place my trust in you today. I ask your son Jesus to save me, forgive me of my sins. Now I'm going to share with you, friends, if you prayed that prayer, Jesus Christ has become the Lord of your life. You've been born again. Please let us know about that. Send us um, an email into our box, info at therivers.org, and let us know so that we can be an encouragement to you. And as we close today, I want to leave you with this simple, simple word. It's in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Change your focus. Look to God. Know you're going to fight, but you're going to win. Because God's with you, he is for you, he's a merciful God, and his grace will empower you and see you through. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. May it be a word of encouragement to your people. We'll thank you for it. Amen.